Brothers and sisters, I invite you to take your Bibles, turn with me for our scripture reading, for our sermon text today. We continue in our series through the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10, and today we're going to look at chapter 10, verses 11 to 15. Matthew 10, verses 11 through 15. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Jesus says, In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. This is God's holy word for us today. Let's ask Him to bless our time in His word. Father, may the unfolding of Your word give us Your light. And may You give us Your wisdom as it shines through Your Son, Jesus. We ask that You let He be our teacher today. And give us open hearts and ready minds to receive all You have for us, individually and as a church so that we can believe what you have us believe and do what you call us to do. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to catch you up on what we're doing, this series we're in right now is called The Sermon on the Mission, which is my title for Matthew chapter 10. There's a Sermon on the Mount earlier in Matthew, and we come to the second big sermon in Matthew's gospel, and it's the Sermon on the Mission. And just to put it in context, I've done this a few weeks ago, but just to put it in context, when we were in the season of Lent, we were looking at the theme of that season, repentance, and we did a whole series on repentance. Then we had Easter, the resurrection, and then the next series was about the resurrected life, where it's not just Jesus gets raised, you get raised spiritually from your deadness and sin. It's called the new birth, regeneration, and now you live a resurrected life, so what Does it look like to be raised with Christ to walk in newness of life? That was the Easter theme. And now we come to the next season where the colors are green and the weather is warm and the the world around us is blooming and bursting with life. It's green. Things are growing. This is what the church is supposed to do, bursting with the new life of Easter. And now we grow in this season called ordinary time or counting time, growing season. And that's why we started this series with Matthew 9, where Jesus says, Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into His harvest. It's growing time, and we need laborers who are ready to bring in the harvest at the end. It's mission time. It's the church's mission season, growing season, going season. And at the end will be harvest time when Christ returns, and that's the next season on the calendar is Advent, which looks to that second coming. So we're following the church calendar. We're following the seasons. 
And here, in this time, this summer, we're looking at the mission of the church. Not just the mission of the church out there, those churches, but this one. And not just those church members over there, but these church members. If I had a mirror, I'd hold it up and say, this series is about this, these people. (laughs) And then I'd turn it around and it'd point at me. It's about me. It's about Tom. It's even about Steve. Thanks. Thanks for filling in today, Steve. (laughs) You don't get off the hook. (laughs) That's what we're looking at. The Sermon on the Mission, the Church's Mission, my mission, your mission, a kingdom mission. A kingdom that's supposed to be unleashed and on the loose in the land of darkness where we live, bringing the light and life of heaven to earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done right down here, not just up there. So what we've looked at so far is three sermons the need for the mission, the men for the mission, and the ministry of the mission. And in the need for the mission, from Matthew 9, 35 to 38, we talked about how the harvest is plentiful and there's a need for laborers in the field. Jesus is the model of our mission. He did it first, then He showed His disciples how to do it and said, now it's your turn. And that was the next sermon. The men for the mission. How He takes His disciples, which is a big group, picks 12 and says, you're going to be apostles now. You're going to go from disciple to apostle, from apostle in training to apostle in the field, from someone learning how to do the mission to someone who's actually doing it, who graduates, you have your degree, now go into your field and do the work you've been credentialed and called and trained to do following Jesus. Watch the master and you go and do likewise. And we talked about how the mission is authorized by Jesus. Jesus gives these disciples the authority and the power, and the abilities, and the gifts that they need to carry it out. It's His mission that He's pursuing through us. So it's not find the resources in yourself to go and do this stuff, but get plugged into the power source that is Jesus, who authorizes and empowers us to do His mission in His world to bring His kingdom. That's why He gets the glory, not us, but we get the joy of participating in what He's doing. He lets us share in what He's doing. And we don't want to miss out. We also talk about the end of that sermon, how Jesus uses unlikely heroes. These these disciples were not the cream of the crop. They weren't the most qualified. They weren't the most brilliant or gifted. In a lot of ways, they really messed things up. They didn't understand three-quarters of what Jesus said. If you read the Gospel of Mark, they never get it. They do a little better in Matthew. They do a little better in Luke. But they're not perfect students. They're not A-plus students. And yet, this is the rabble. This is the crowd that Jesus says, no, I'm going to do it with you guys. Why? Why does he use unlikely heroes? So he gets the credit. And it can't be, well, of course, so-and-so is so brilliant and powerful and brilliant and so good at kingdom work. No. No. Jesus does through us what only he can do. That's why it's supernatural and why he gets the glory. He uses unlikely heroes. And last time we were together, we looked at the ministry of the mission. That is, once we go, what are we supposed to do? And Jesus tells us that we should locate our ministry and target where we're going to focus our efforts. Find where God is calling you. You you can't be called to every place and every person. You can't do everything. 
But God calls you and Christ calls you to, to, to do your ministry here. This could be your area. And for someone else, it's this area. And for someone else, it's this over here. And we each have our gifts that are tailor-made for a specific area of ministry. And the way you find out where yours is, is this. You remember my little mantra from high school? See a need, meet a need. See a need, meet a need. If I have the resources or the time or the gifts or the... or if I look at myself and think, what's an area of need that, that fires me up that I want to do something about? Ask the Holy Spirit to, to lead you and direct your attention to where there's a need that you think you can fit in. You might, may, may not be the best at it. You, no one says you have to be. But where is God calling you to do your ministry? Paul tells Timothy to fulfill your ministry, not some other pastors, not some other churches, but Timothy's ministry. The one God gave Timothy. And you, fulfill your ministry. The one God's giving you. And where he's putting you. Find where God's calling you. See a need, meet a need. Don't see a need and say, well, I have the time, the ability, the resources, the know-how. There's no reason I couldn't meet this need. But I I look at the need and say, Lord, please send someone to meet that need. Have a nice day. (laughs) We need the Holy Spirit to smack us on the back of the head and say, Hello, I put you there to meet that need. Whether it's tiny stuff or huge stuff. And every conceivable place in between, we as a church need to be on the lookout for where's a need we are best suited to meet here, where we live, to be a light here. And the last thing we talked about there was in the ministry of the mission... We have to focus not just on saying gospel stuff and not meeting needs, and we have to not fall off the other side and just meet needs and leave Jesus out. It's got to be a both-and mission. The ministry's got to be a gospel ministry and a service ministry where they get the whole gospel, repentance, faith, cross, resurrection, nothing watered down, nothing left out, the good old-fashioned gospel. The biblical gospel, but delivered through astonishing, self-sacrificing love, mercy, and compassion that just meets needs whether they respond with faith or not. Their response to the gospel is not a condition for us showing them mercy, compassion, love, kindness, for us to be the gentle healer to them. We serve and we speak the gospel and we leave the results to the Lord of the harvest. And that calls us to to embark on venturesome ministry where we risk and we trust and we step out in faith, keeping our eyes on the master. So I go through this to catch us up to speed so we know where we are. We can put a pin in this and say this is where we are in our Sermon on the Mission. In our passage this morning, just a couple of things I want to look at that hook up or link up with what we're talking about in that review. In our passage today, Jesus begins telling His disciples the method of the ministry. We've seen the need for the ministry. We've seen the men or the need for the mission. We've seen the men for the mission, the ministry of the mission. And today we get another M. I'm a preacher. I can't help it. 
So you'll never remember these unless you write them down because they're all M words except the first one. This is the method of the mission. Okay, so we know, what, we know why there's a need for the mission. We know who the men for the mission are. Here's the mirror. Take a look. We know what the ministry is. It's gospel and service. It's targeted ministry, see a need, meet a need, risking, venturesome ministry. But now what's the method of the ministry? Okay, so now we know what kind of ministry we should be doing, but what's the method? How do we, when we get on the ground, what do we do specifically? These are great ideas, but as long as it stays theory and never turns into practical principles for how to act next and what to do when you're there in the field, it it won't be as helpful. So today, Jesus gives his disciples some instructions. This is about the strategy that the disciples should use as they go about doing the mission. Now, this method that Jesus lays out in verses 11 to 15 of Matthew 10 is unique in its specific details to the disciples and to the early church in the first and early second centuries, which means not everything is going to carry over one-to-one to today because life in the 20s, not the 1920s, but just 20s of the first century in rural Galilee is unimaginably different than life in Chester County in 2023. So not every detail will transfer one-to-one in a perfect way. But what we can find here is a principle, a general strategy that we can then use. We can learn a couple of lessons from the way Jesus tells them to do it in their context. So that's what we're doing this morning. We're going to look at the strategy or method that Jesus tells them to use, and then we will draw out two lessons that we can use today as we pursue the same mission in our context. The mission's the same, but the context is different. And that's what we're going to have to bridge today. Look at the original mission and then bridge the gap to our context today. So that's what we're going to do. And we just have two lessons to look at. So I want to start by looking at the original, the original method. Last week, we ended by looking briefly at verses 9 and 10... And these verses are connected to verses 11 through 13. So let's read them all together, 9 to 13. Let's see how they connect. Jesus tells them, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. So no money. No bag for your journey. So no suitcase, which means no change of clothes and everything else you need. No two tunics. No extra clothes. If you can't pack them, you also can't wear them. Okay? No sandals, so no shoes. No staff. Now, if you're walking around the rural Galilean countryside, a staff helps you get around. It also helps you fend off wild animals. It also helps you be a threat to bandits who might try to rob you. So your one defensive weapon, the staff, don't take that either. For the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it. Stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Okay, what's going on here? The principle that's at play here is at the very end of verse 8 and at the end 
of verse 10. At the end of verse 8, Jesus says, You receive without paying, give without pay. And in verse 10, he says, The laborer deserves his food. So these are the twin principles that this whole method is based on. First, you have received without pay, so you are to give without pay. In other words, God gives to you freely, and so you also should give freely. You don't come there and say, kingdom blessings, only twelve ninety nine. Oh, eternal life for three easy installments of an arm and a leg. You don't, there's no price tag. You don't come there and ask for money. Pay me and I'll tell you the secrets of the kingdom. Give me some money and then maybe we'll talk about meeting your needs. We don't do that. The church, we have received from God absolutely freely by grace and grace alone. And so then our method should embody that principle. In other words, the way we approach ministry, the way we do this mission, should be a living parable of the gospel itself. We have received without pay, so we just go and give it away freely. We don't charge money. We don't have any conditions. Like you have to jump through this hoop and then we'll talk about feeding your family, for example. None of that is conditional. The mercy, the compassion, God pours it out freely on us. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that God makes the sun to rise on the just and the unjust. He gives the same beautiful sunshine to those who love Him and those who hate Him. Jesus says we should be a living embodiment of the gospel. You have received all this stuff without pay, so turn around and give it away without pay. And that's why He's saying, don't take all this stuff with you. Don't go acquire gold or silver or copper for your belts because there's no monetary transactions that are going to take place with the kingdom here. The second principle is, the laborer deserves his food. So, when they bring the gospel to a house, which is what it talks about, when you enter the house and when you go to a home, let your, greet it and let your peace fall on it if it's worthy. So when, they go, so, when the disciples are on the move and they go to these homes and they knock on the door and they greet the house, if that home receives the kingdom, receives the message... They accept the help and they're open to the gospel and they receive it. They make a favorable response. Those disciples have a right to be supported and supplied and sent by that house. So this is, this is how Jesus is setting up the kingdom. It's a division of labor between itinerants who are on the move and households who stay put. So the itinerants are the disciples who are sent. You go knock on these doors, go down these streets, go bring the gospel to these homes in Galilee, go around to the different villages. And when they open the door and welcome you in and accept you, the kingdom has landed in that place. And now they become instruments of that kingdom. Now they turn around and they, because they've received blessing from you, they bless you by sending you to the next kingdom location. They support you and supply you and send you. That's why they're told, don't take anything you need with you. You're going to trust God to make His Word effective in their hearts 
and move them to meet your needs and supply what you need. So this, was, this is why we talk about venturesome ministry. This is a huge risk for these apostles. Don't take any shoes. Don't take any money. Don't take a change of clothes. Don't take a staff. Don't. So just go out there and look homeless and be completely destitute, totally empty. All I've got is the kingdom to offer you. All I've got is the kingdom. But remember what Jesus says. The kingdom is the treasure hidden in a field that's worth the price of the whole field it's buried in. The kingdom is the precious treasure. That's the expensive thing. And that's something that bandits can't take from them on the road. So they have that to offer. And they give that pearl of great price, that treasure hidden in the field. They dig it up. They bring it to these homes. They give it to them. They share it with them. And the kingdom changes that household so that now they become an instrument of the kingdom. They support and they supply and they send the disciples on to the next house. So we have two essential parts of the mission. Those who go and those who send. We have itinerants and we have households. And this is how Jesus plants the kingdom in Galilee. The disciples come to a church, or excuse me, come to a home... They share the kingdom, they embrace the kingdom, and then they get supported and supplied and sent to the next home. And home by home, street by street, block by block, neighborhood by neighborhood, and community by community, and village by village, the kingdom spreads. Jesus says it's like a little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven you put in the, in the dough, and eventually... It leavens the whole thing. Or it's this tiny little seed you plant in the ground that eventually becomes this mighty tree. It starts out by someone knocking on someone's door and saying, let me tell you about the kingdom. And that home accepts it. And from that little seed, the kingdom is sprawling and spreading and taking over streets, neighborhoods, villages, countrysides, whole communities. These households become kingdom outposts. And as those households gather together, because not everybody on that block is going to accept the kingdom, as the ones who do accept it band together, that's a church. That's a church. And they live like Jesus tells them to live, and they do the things Jesus tells them to do, and they carry on the ministry locally while the disciples keep going on to plant the kingdom in the next home, town, village, etc., And so the kingdom grows by people going, planting, and then the kingdom grows locally as those homes and households and communities do this same mission at home. Those who go are sent by the ones who stay in one location, but those who stay in that location don't just send and supply and support, but they have their own ways of going right where they are locally. They don't sell their houses and go like the the disciples. They carry on the ministry right there at home. So this is how Jesus envisions Galilee being transformed, being claimed by the kingdom. He sends out traveling disciples who establish households as kingdom outposts where new kingdom communities are centered. This is how Galilee is one for the kingdom. One home, one village at a time. Now this is the method for the mission, for these disciples, 
and for the early church, even into the second century, this is still how they were doing it. Now, we can't do things exactly the same in every detail the way they were doing. So the point of this passage is not get rid of your shoes, throw away your luggage, don't, you know, empty your bank account and just go up and down 322 looking for, you know. Like if that's, that's not the application, okay? There are some specifics to that time and place that don't carry over. But what does carry over is this lesson that we can take, this general lesson we can take. We should be following the same basic method of going and sending. This division of labor. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into His field, into His harvest. Okay, well, once the laborers get out there, there's a division of labor. And there are those who are primarily going with the rest sending. And then there are those who are primarily sending. This is the division of labor. Now, this applies to individuals first. All of us have some capacity where we can go. We can go do this ministry, meet that need, participate here, pitch in there. There are places that you and I individually can go. And the church should be here to support and send and supply you to go do that ministry, to get behind you. You come to me and say, I've got an idea for a ministry. I'm going to say, hallelujah. What can we do to support it? Tell me the details. Tell me where it is and what we're doing to make sure it's, you know, make sure it's within the box of acceptable, Presbyterian, whatever. But once all we, once we check the, like, the danger zone boxes, <laughs> then we say, let's go. What do you need? How can I help? How can the elders help? How can the church get behind you? We'll take up an offering. We'll, what, what, do you, what do you need? That's the church supplying you and supporting you as an individual or you and a few other people or whatever to go on an individual basis. That's a grassroots kind of ministry. And that's the best kind because God puts it in your heart to do it and you're excited and fired up. That's the best kind. But then there's also ways you as individuals can help somebody else who's going. Okay, I'm not called to do that specific task, but that's a great task. Let me support it, pray for it. Sin, supply. So all of us as individuals need to find where can we go and who can we partner with to go. In our church. Then you can look at this as our church with other churches around us and other Christians and parachurch ministries. Where are people already going in Glenmore? West Brandywine, where is God already putting people? Where have people already gone? Who can we partner with? Who can we support? Who can we supply? Is there anybody here we can send to go help? And likewise, where can we go as a congregation and then maybe seek support from others so that there's going and sending happening, both and, not only going and only sending, as though you can't do both. We have to do both, but we got to find where. And we've got to look around and say, see a need, meet a need. What needs can we meet? What needs are already being met that we can partner with? And then finally, as a denomination, as a EPC congregation in a presbytery and in a denomination, who's going? Missionaries and church planning. People in our, in our presbytery are planning churches. We can partner with them. We can supply them. We can help them. 
People in our presbytery, in our denomination, are missionaries. Now, we love our mission. We support a ton of missionaries. We just have to continue to think about who can we partner with to support, send, and supply, and also where can we go? Are there things we can do participating in the larger functions of the EPC to get really plugged in? I went to General Assembly a couple weeks ago in Colorado, and the whole point wasn't General Assembly. It was a missions conference with a little bit of business thrown in. Now, I don't know, I've never been to the General Assembly before that one, and those of you who have know that's not how it is. It's business. Let's receive this report. Thank you very much. It's Robert's Rules of Order. It's boring. <laughs> it stinks because I've watched them online. I've just never attended one in person. Okay, it's not that bad, depending on what's happening that year. It's business. It's boring. You sit there, you play chess on your phone, you just can't wait for the lunch break. <laughs> I'm confessing too much. <laughs> right? But this year it wasn't like that. They changed it. First of all, it's a day shorter. Hallelujah. But also, it's a, it was a missions and ministry conference where all we talked about was church planning, evangelism, spreading the gospel, unreached peoples, missionary. The, the whole thing was about where can we go? God wants us to go. Let's put the E back in the EPC. The Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Let's spread the gospel. Let's go, folks. Come on. It was, that's what it was about. So you can't go somewhere like that and not get touched by that and think, that fits with the sermon series I was already going to do. It's like a God was at work. Man. So this is the principle. Going and sending. Let's get plugged into a going department and a sending department. We can have both as individuals, as a congregation, as a church in our denomination and our presbytery. The church is a going, sending, supporting kingdom agency. Freely we have received, freely give. We have a duty to support those who are going. This division of labor is still how Jesus wants it done. That's the first lesson that we can take away from this original ministry method Jesus gives us in Matthew 10. Now, very quickly, I want to address in our second point, what about these words of Jesus in verses 10 through 13 about the worthy and the unworthy? Do you notice all that worthy, unworthy language? Verse 11, whatever town or village you enter, find out who's worthy in it. Stay there until you depart. Verse 13, if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Now, I want to address that so that we don't make any mistakes in how we apply this. When Jesus is saying, who's worthy, let your peace go to the one who's worthy and, and withhold it from the unworthy, he's not telling us to go out on this mission and then find the people who deserve it. Don't, don't think it means that. Go find the people who deserve the gospel and only share it with them. Okay? We're not hyper-Calvinists. We're not like going to find, are they, do they glow in the dark if they're elect and that's who we're going to... 
Okay? That's just not, right? He's not talking about who deserves it, who's better. Go to the nicer crowd. Go to the easier people. Go to the worthy. No. That's not what he means. All he's talking about here is not who deserves God's gifts, who deserves the kingdom. What he's talking about means though the worthy are those who respond favorably to the kingdom message. The Bible talks about those who accept the kingdom message in those terms of those who are, quote-unquote, worthy of it. And you get an example of this in Acts chapter 13, where Paul uses this language of, of the worthy in terms of who accepts the gospel. He says in Acts 13, 44 to 46... It says, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Okay, they're reviling him while he's trying to preach. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, check this out, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, the Jewish people. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Okay, so that's what worthy and unworthy means. Not who deserves it, but who responds favorably to the gospel. In other words, someone who's worthy is someone who is a fit recipient of the gospel's blessings. And a fit recipient is someone who opens their heart to receive it. It's a posture of faith and acceptance and welcome. That's who the kingdom's for. The blessings aren't for those who shut, their, shut the door in the face of the disciples and those who revile Paul while he's preaching. That's not who the blessings are for. The blessings are for those who accept them, not those who reject them. That's what it means when it says, your peace, let your peace come upon the worthy and then let your peace return to you. If you find someone who's unworthy, it means we have these kingdom blessings, the blessings of God's favor, the blessing that the kingdom itself is. It's for you if you'll have it. But if you say, no thank you, get that out of here, get out of my house, (laughs) go away. You're judging yourselves to be unworthy of the kingdom. In other words, you've put yourself in a position of hardening your heart to the kingdom, and so you're not a fit recipient. That's what it's talking about. That's what it's talking about. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you wait and see who, who repents and believes before you meet their needs. That's not what the peace of the kingdom is. The peace of the kingdom is peace with God through Jesus Christ. It's the favor and blessing of the kingdom once you're on the inside of it. But the service of the kingdom, where you're meeting needs with mercy and compassion and preaching the gospel, that stuff you give freely, whether they accept it or not. But the apostles don't pronounce the divine peace upon a home if it slams the door in their face. They let their peace return to them, and they go to the next place. So, last point today... What do you do the next time when you offer the kingdom to somebody and the door gets slammed in your face? 
What's your next move when people reject you and reject the kingdom? Last two verses of the passage, verses 14 and 15. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Let's just stop there. What's the answer? Shake it off. (laughs) That's what you do next. You don't sweat it. You shake it off. You go, okay, we'll shake the, okay, the dust of this town, all right. And you go to the next town. You don't worry about it. <laughs> don't you love Jesus? He's like, they're going to crucify me. They're not going to crucify most of you. <laughs> they're just going to say, your Jesus is stupid, or your God's a fairy tale, or the Bible's a bunch of whatever, and then they're going to tell you to get lost. Well, I'm not getting nailed to a cross. Must be a good day. (laughs) You just shake it off. That's what he says. (laughs) Shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. That really is the response. You keep going in the face of this just reviling and rejection. And uh, you just, you you take it and you say, look, unbelievers are going to do what unbelievers do best. Unbelieve. Why am I shocked? Unless God does a work in their hearts, this is, what, this is always what people do with the gospel. They don't like it. <laughs> Unless God does that Easter thing for them and raises them from the dead. And he does that through your faithfulness. And if someone rejects, you're planting seeds, you're being faithful, you're being obedient, you leave the results to him and you shake it off. And the last thing you do is in verse 15. You just leave it to God. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Wow. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed with fire and brimstone in Genesis. And it's going to be better for them than it will be for the place that rejects the kingdom. Impressive. Sobering. The kingdom is a big deal. Life and death is on the line here. Heaven and hell's on the line here with the kingdom. Final judgment implications are at stake here. And so what do you do? You don't get angry. You don't retaliate. There's no revenge. You keep your eyes on the master and you follow where he leads. And you leave it to God. What what becomes of other people and what response they make is just not our business. (laughs) It's God's business. And you leave it to him. At the judgment, God will take care of that. In the meantime, you keep loving, serving, giving. Freely you've received, now freely give. So today, brothers and sisters, think with me about how and where can you go? How and where can you send? How and where can you support? Let's have the boldness that Jesus tells us to have, a kind of confidence and security in Christ and the kingdom that lets us shake things off when it's hard and difficult and embarrassing and, and awkward and doesn't go our way. Because we have the treasure hidden in the field. We have the kingdom and the king of that kingdom with us always. So let's mobilize. Let's go forward. Let's march under the banner of this kingdom. Onward and upward for the glory of King Jesus and for the good of our neighbors who need King Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the challenge that Jesus brings when he calls us to go higher up and farther in and deeper and deeper with you, to step out in faith, to to do this going and sending gospel and service mission. And we ask that you would help us to think with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and to band together to pray and dream and strategize and think and catch the fire that's in your heart to get your passion for your kingdom to see it go and move and to look for ways to just be done with complacent Christianity and go forward. So many of us already are so involved, so invested. Praise Jesus. Thank you, God, that so many of us are already doing this stuff and this is just a good reminder. And for the rest of us, help us to get inspired and encouraged, not to feel guilty, but to feel energized and ready to go and get excited. No guilt trips here, Lord. Just excitement to get on board with what you're already doing. So help us to do that, Lord. Help us to be your kingdom people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.